Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. Well, it's been a, a crazy morning already. I didn't think I was going to be here. Believe it or not, I didn't think I was going to be here. I was on the way to church Coming up to the intersection, if, if you're familiar with Briar Creek Shopping Center, Highway 70, I'm at that light and my car just like turns off, just turns off. I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, uh, I don't want to call my wife. She's busy right now with kids. I'm going to call Steve. And so we, we got an Uber, came and got me. Uh, there, I met a, a homeless guy named Caleb. He's watching my car right now. So it's, it's okay. He did help me move the car out of the way into a medium. But if you are heading to Briar Creek area after church, I could use a ride. So crazy morning. It's been a crazy four weeks for our family, the Wickle family. We've gone from being a family of five to a family of six. And so I think, yes, we have a picture of uh, Lydia Joy Wickle. She's, she was born with that amount of hair. She's kept that hair. She's doing great. I think we got one more of all of us kind of hanging out. Yep, Wickle Clan. Thank you, Brad. Thanks. People have been asking me, so what's it like to have four kids? And I love the quote. You probably you might have heard that, that wise philosopher, Jim Gaffigan. He said, well, he said, imagine you're, you're, you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. Uh, that's what it feels like. Uh, I know a lot of parents talk about how they can already tell like the personality, the gifting of their child when they're sucking. You guys know what I'm talking about, parents. Like, like I, I, you know what they're going to be. There is no doubt that there is an intercessory prayer warrior calling, anointing on my daughter. She travails all night in unknown tongues. And it is amazing. We've at least seen four or five unreached people groups come into the kingdom through all her prayers. We are so thankful as parents. Okay, so we, we started uh, this year looking at our core values, and Steve has taken a, a couple weeks to share these words from the Lord that he's gotten. We've talked a lot about uh, being a people of the word, being a people of prayer, and this morning I want to turn our attention to really take a step back and remind ourselves of what our highest calling is what is the most important pursuit? It's the value of values. It's the calling of callings. And that is the pursuit of God himself. That's the pursuit of God himself. Our ultimate purpose, it's not to be professionally successful. It's not to have a good family. It's not to make thousands of disciples or end the, the injustices of the world, at which those are all important. But the most important thing that we can ever be pursuing is God himself. It's like what David said in Psalm 27, 4. He said, may we be a people of one thing, one thing that I have asked, one thing that I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. The apostle Paul put it this way in Philippians 3. He said, forgetting what lies behind me, I'm pressing onwards towards the call of Christ Jesus. I remember reading those verses when I was 16 years old for the very first time, hearing like the, the highest calling, hearing about that and how it left my heart undone. 
about how it ravished my heart, how the fire of God began to stir inside of me. And I, I imagine there's a lot of you, you're, you're, you're older, you're, you're, you got, maybe you're married, you got kids, and now my, my prayer is, as I, as I carry a lot more emotional, professional, financial responsibilities, my prayer now is like, Lord, how do I keep that fire going? How do I keep it from the, from the love from going cold? How do I get to my 80s and my 90s and I'm, I'm, I'm more in love with Jesus than I was when I was 16 when I first got saved? I know we got a lot of young adults in here. They're, they're transitioning out of school, grad school, and there's the process of adulting and learning all this stuff that's weighing on them. And I know that they're asking, how do I pursue Jesus with everything in this season? I know... Again, there are many families like me. How can I pursue Jesus? Regardless of your age, you may just have so many disappointments of life that have taken your toll. And this whole talk about being on fire for Jesus, it sounds really great, but you wonder if you have what it takes anymore. Well, my prayer this morning is that God would show us, that he would help us, that he would impart to us a passion for him, that he would stir our hearts again. And so I, I want to look at three truths that God wants to remind us that keep the fire burning. Three truths to keep our passion alive for Jesus. And truth number one, if you're taking notes, is this. We need to remember that God is ultimately looking for lovers. He's ultimately looking for lovers. What he wants more than our what he wants more than our outward obedience, our service, our, our, our ministry is he wants our hearts. He wants heart connection. He wants intimacy. That's what he wants first. It would be really easy, especially here at, at a church like Antioch. And if you've been coming for, all, for a while, you know that Antioch, we talk a lot about just prayer and fasting and going and legacy and impact. And, and all those things are good. They're really, really, really good. But if we go back way to the beginning in the garden and we look all the way to the end where we get to this wedding, it's ultimately always been about a love relationship. That's what it's ultimately all been about. A bridegroom and the bride. A father and his kids. So how do we keep that fire burning is that we remember that he's looking for lovers. Let's look, if you have your Bibles, to Hosea chapter 6. Hosea chapter 6. I'm going to read some scriptures for you. God is speaking through the prophet Hosea. Hosea is speaking to the nation of Israel. And they had gone wayward. They had abandoned their covenant relationship with God. Hosea was the final prophet before Israel ultimately fell. And in chapter 6, verse 6, there's this really, really powerful verse. And this is God saying through the prophet to Israel, his people, this is what he really wants. I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. I really like how one, another translation puts it. God says, I want your constant love, not your animal sacrifices. 
I would rather have my people know me than burn offerings to me. What was the problem with Israel continuing to sacrifice? Isn't that what he had commanded him? Isn't there a whole book of the Bible, the Leviticus book, that talks about the importance of giving sacrifices? The problem was that their hearts had long disconnected way before. They were continuing their religious duties without being faithful to covenant relationship. God was wanting heart connection. Israel just wanted to go through the motions. You know what's really interesting about this verse is that Jesus quotes it twice in the New Testament. We're going to look at those passages right now. He uses the same verse twice with very similar circumstances. I'm going to read the first one is in Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire Some translations say mercy, or it could be steadfast love. I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Notice the question about, notice the question from the Pharisees. When they said, why does your teacher eat with these sinners and tax collectors? That question is rooted in a desire that they had to be holy. They thought, it was a misguided thought of holiness, that if I could, I could abstain from sin by abstaining from these sinners. The problem wasn't their desire to be holy. The problem was that they had no relationship, heart relationship with God. If they knew God at a heart-to-heart level, they would have known that God already knew that these people were sinners and that they were in need of a Savior. Here's the spiritual principle. To serve God without love is dead religion. Service for God without love for God is dead religion. It's performance Christianity. It's works-based gospel. And it's not what he desires. It's not what he's after. What about the other reference? Matthew 12, verses 1 through 8. Jesus, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in, how, in the law how the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire steadfast love, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you had, would have not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. What's the problem here for the Pharisees? Is it that they're trying to obey the law? Is that the problem? No, the problem is that they were trying to obey God 
give God their religious efforts and works but have no heart connection with him. They were not giving what he really desired. Their service for God without the love of God was a form of dead religion. So what does this have to do with keeping our hearts on fire for Jesus? What does this have to do to keep the fire burning? If we attempt to work for God, obey God, serve God, void of heart connection with him, we will at best find that our spirituality is going through the motions. At best, going through the motions. At worst, we will become self-righteous and critical of others who don't seem to be doing as much for God as we are. Let me say that again. If we attempt to work for God, to be duty-bound, serve God, pray, do all the, all the disciplines, if we tend to do those things without a heart connection with him, we will at best be going through the motions and at worst be self-righteous critical. This is what scares me. That I can engage in Bible study, that I can pray, that I, I can fast, I can live holy, I can serve, I can make disciples, I can preach the gospel, I can do engage in all of those things and never engage him. Has anyone ever experienced that before? I feel that way. I feel that way before. Jesus spoke of the same sentiment, Matthew 7. 21, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons, do mighty works? Did we not spend time with you, read large portions of the Bible, pray and fast and preach and do this and this and that, cause care for the poor? And then I will declare to them, and notice this, this is it right here, this verse right here, this line right here. What does Jesus say? I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. Does, does, God, does God know you? Does he know your heart? Does he have intimacy with you? The next time you open your Bibles, remember this. It's not about opening your Bible. It's not about how long you do it. It's not a lot about how much you can cram in here. It's about meeting the living word. The next time you pray, it's not about praying. It's not about how long you pray or how holy you sound. It's about, God, I want to meet with your heart. The next time you come to a worship service, come to church, it's not about coming to church. It's about how can I connect with the presence of God? Maybe you have a full-time job, you work overtime hours, and you've just carried this, this, this guilt. Like, do I, do, am I doing the spiritual things? Am I, am I doing a spiritual, super spiritual life? No, God, what God wants for you to know is his heart so that you can recognize that you carry the, the shine of glory in your heart and you can bring it to your job. Maybe you're a, a mom or dad and you just, you're at that age where the kids are going crazy and you just want to spend time with God and you feel guilty that you can't spend time with God and you're just, 
not connecting. God wants you to, he wants you to know that you just need to be the incarnate word of God to your kids. For those struggling with addictions or besetting sins, don't try to give God penance, try to make up for it for some lack of holiness. You don't have to carry guilt. You don't have to carry shame, condemnation. God wants to meet your heart and reveal himself as the king of righteousness so that you can be washed with the blood of Jesus. So if I can recap here, to keep the fire burning in our hearts, we have to remember what God is ultimately after. He's ultimately after our hearts. He wants our hearts first, our love, our connection above all else, union above all things. God is looking for lovers. But what if you're in a place where the fire's already gone out? You're saying to yourself, hey, this is great. I get and completely understand that I need fire for God, but I don't have it. There's people here. I know there's people here. I've showed up here. I'm like, I just, I'm going through the most. I, I don't have it. What do I do? I know heart connection is what it's about. But what do I do? Do I just plow forward? Do we, we want to just plow forward and keep doing what we're doing? Here's point number two. If you're struggling with that, you have to remember where you came from. Remember where you came from. I want us to look at Revelation chapter two. I'm gonna explain this here. Revelation chapter two, one through five. This is Jesus talking to the churches. And he talks to this church at Ephesus, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, I know your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, remember, therefore from where you have fallen, Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. This is Jesus talking to an entire church. Which church is it? The church of what? Ephesus. It's one of the most famous churches in the whole Bible. And what does Jesus' words tell us about Ephesus? We can learn a lot about Ephesus just from this passage. Number one, we'll put this, I'll summarize it. Ephesus had great orthopraxy and great orthodoxy. What do I mean by that? Orthopraxy. They ministered really well. Jesus says right here, you're hardworking church. You endure. You toil. Your ministry on the outside, it looks good. If you go to Acts 19, where we get a glimpse of the birth of the church of Ephesus, oh man, this church church in Acts 19, they, they had their own seminary. They had a day school. You can look it up. They met at the Hall of Tyrannius. It's a two-year day school they met. It was. So they had, they had, a, they had a training school. They were making disciples. They had, they had an, a robust outreach evangelism program multiple times in Acts 19. The word of the Lord spread. The word of the Lord would spread. They had a dynamic deliverance ministry. People were getting saved and delivered from demons just from handkerchiefs. Everything on the outside looked like Ephesus. This was an incredibly ministering church. Not only did they have great orthopraxy, though, they also had great orthodoxy. Jesus said that they could test and discern true apostles from false apostles. 
True, they, they, they know what good theology was. The Apostle Paul himself spent two years. Imagine getting taught by the Apostle Paul himself. You'd probably have really good theology. You'd have really good theology, I would hope. The point is, is that Ephesus, on the outside, they were, this was the church we would all want to be a part of. And Jesus, what was his warning? What was his warning? What was his rebuke? You had abandoned your first love. They no longer had heart connection. So maybe you're here this morning, you're like, everything on the outside, I have good theology, have good orthopraxy, but I'm like Ephesus, I've lost my first love. Don't feel guilty, don't feel condemned. It's the mercy of God that you're even hearing this this morning. Jesus has a word for you. So what was the remedy? What did Jesus say? What do you do with this lack of fire, this lack of passion? He said, remember Remember from where you have fallen. Remember, you've lost your passion, your fire. What does Jesus say? He says, look back. I propose to you at least one valid interpretation of what it means to remember the state from which you have fallen is to look back at your former state. Look back at yourself before you came to know Jesus. Remember where you came from. I believe the Apostle Paul did this already. With the church at Ephesus, if you read Ephesians chapter 2, he did this. I'm going to read it to you. It's Ephesians chapter 2. Paul was reminding the church at Ephesus where they had fallen from. And as I read this, if you're here this morning and the passion has waned, the love has grown cold, this is for you. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, obeying the devil, commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much. Even when we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by grace, it is only by grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Can I just tell you that For those of us who have been Christians for for several years, following Jesus for a long time, it's really easy for us to presume on the mercy and grace of God. You guys know what I mean, what I'm talking about? It's really easy to forget where where we've fallen from. I I grew up in a a generation that came under, there was the generation above me, before me, was the generation, and I'm, I'm generalizing here, was very familiar with fire brimstone. You know, pr- fire brimstone, hell messages. And I remember hear, hearing people get saved in that and out of that and, and really began to emphasize to my generation and younger this, to grace, you're awesome, you're a child of God, image of God. And both of those are true. I'm, we're hitting paradoxes here. 
I represent a generation, and those of younger than me are part of this, where we just grew up hearing all the time that you're amazing, and God loves you, and you are amazing, and God does love you, and you're created in the image of God, but we just hear it all the time. I remember teaching at, at, um, at private school before and, and middle schoolers, and they just were constantly told, you're awesome, you're a child of God. I'm like, no, this is really, it's good, it's true. And I was like, there were times where I'm like, this is creating such an entitlement culture. It's creating like, they don't even know, let's put it this way. What never got emphasized was the fear of God, the holiness of God, judgment of God, wrath of God, all other parts of the Bible. And I was seeing the fruit of that. And I see it even in the culture now, particularly with the young people. I see it. it's like, we don't like to talk about that. And it's created the presumption of, I deserve God's grace. I deserve his mercy. Let me put it this way. God didn't have to save you. Your brokenness, your captivity to sin, he is completely just just to let us to have let us die in our sins and go a whole eternity without him. He would have been completely justified if he just goes, you know what, these people, they rebelled against me. Uh, I don't want them anymore. They're not worth it. And he would have been 100% right and just for that. Here's a a mental exercise to, to really try to understand just what we didn't deserve you guys, if, you've, if you love stories, whether it's movies or novels, what makes a good story? There's a protagonist, there's an antagonist, and really good storytellers know how to make you hate the antagonist. And you're watching the movie, you're reading the book, and as you hate them and despise them even more, you, there's, a, there's a sensation inside of you as the story unfolds that this story will not be complete until that bad guy, is just the worst happens to him. The, they get just, they're just, they're punished, right? You, you guys know what I'm talking about? You read those stories, you watch those movies, and the worst movies are the ones where they, they get away. And you're like, no. But we recognize that in our hearts. And, and so I'm coming back to the sermon here, not the exercise. So here's the point. We're the bad guys. We're the ones that, that God could have said, you're getting what you deserve. It was an absolutely scandalous that Jesus took our guilt, punishment, and condemnation by going to the cross. He died a death he did not deserve so we could live a life we did not earn. To the church that lost its love, its fire, Jesus said, remember, you were doomed, but I came to save you. To those of us now who you've lost your fire, you've lost your love, your heart has grown cold, remember, you were once doomed, but Christ came and saved. Let me tie it together with this principle from Jesus. Jesus said in Luke 7, he says, if you've been forgiven much, you will love much. But if you've been forgiven little, you will love little. You guys get that? If we don't have a revelation of how much God has loved us, like no wonder the, the, the love's not coming out of us. Let me be so bold as to say this. If your passion has waned, if your fire is, is out, your love is growing cold, is it perhaps that you've forgotten the good news? I'm not talking about the mental, intellectual forgetfulness. I'm talking about the personal. Have you forgotten that 
when Jesus went on the cross, he went for, he went for you personally. The story of the New Testament church is the story of simple, ordinary men and women, just like you and me. They received a revelation of the, just the simple gospel, and the revelation of that simple gospel, Jesus in our place, that revelation was sufficient to carry them, to sell everything they had, become loyal to Jesus, and give up their lives, and die to go to the ends of the world to preach the gospel. That's how sufficient the gospel was. So we have to remember where we came from. Remember where we came from. So we've looked at, number one, that God is he's after lovers. He wants lovers. Number two, he's looking for, he wants us to remember where we came from. And l- number three, one more thing we need to re- be reminded of to keep the fire burning is that we need to remember, you need to remember, I need to remember our assignments, specific assignments. Look back at Revelation 2. Verses four and five. But I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent. And this is the last part it says. And do the works you did at first. What did Jesus command them to do? The works they did at first. The church of Ephesus, which had lost its fire, its passion, its first love, were doing works, but they were doing the wrong works. They were chasing the wrong assignment. They were not being faithful to what God had originally called them to do. They needed to remember their assignment. And just as Jesus had specific works for the church at Ephesus, he has specific assignment for you and me. And if we get off track, when we disconnect from what God is wanting us to do in this season that you're in, and we chase after something that he has not called us to do, we begin to lose the fuel in the fire. Paul, writing to the same church at Ephesus, same chapter, chapter two, verse 10, says this. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We have assignments. You have assignments that have been created in the heart of God before the foundations of the world, that we're to walk in them. We have assignments from heaven. And here's the spiritual truth here. Here's the principle. We lose our fire. We lose our passion when we neglect to steward our assignment. Or put it this way, when we faithfully obey and steward what God has put right in front of us, we keep the fire burning. So here's the question. Are you stewarding the assignment that God has you in right now? I've been wrestling with this question since becoming a a parent, having kids. I I remember before I had kids, before even I got married, I was my college young adult days, and the way my faith journey looked, it looked way different than it does now in terms of its expressions. I could stay up multiple nights. A lot of our young adults do this, which is great. I'd stay up multiple nights, multiple prayer nights, all-nighters, conferences. I mean, we'd hit the streets, preach the gospel multiple nights a week. We'd travel out of state to go to worship gatherings. And there was this unique intensity. Now, if I'm honest, if I'm especially now with kids, this is what happens. I compare myself to that. 
Currently, currently, I'm spending all nighters praying that I don't cuss because I'm tired. That's what's happened. My evangelistic efforts are trying to convert the restless heathens in my house. Out of state worship conferences. <laughs> Let's just say getting all four kids here before the sermon starts is a win. Amen. Thank you. See, what happens is when I compare myself now to the unique time of that life as a young adult, I get in condemnation. I, I, I then got to start thinking, well, I, I got to go back and do those things. Here's a, here's a really cool, this, this is an important piece of wisdom. What made those early days filled with the fire of God wasn't what I was doing. It was that I was just being obedient in that season. What fuels the fire of God for you is not, oh, I gotta go sacrifice and do all the things. It's just that just be obedient to what God has called you now. So if you wanna keep the fire burning as a college student, stop obsessing on what happens after you graduate. Start realizing that before you graduate, you are a missionary to one of the greatest harvest fields on the planet. I say that authoritatively because that was me. I was like, just get me the degree, I'm out of here. You want to keep the fire burning as a young professional. Leverage the unique abundance of time and strength. And yes, young adults, you do have an abundance of time compared to me. Leverage that time and strength to invest in serving others. Prayer, worship gatherings, going to the nations. Learn how to be content. Work with excellence in that first job right out of school. Begin to see your career as a mission field filled with thousands of people who will never step in, foot inside this building. Start learning to serve in the shadows. Don't just do it for six months. Do it for six years. I've already talked a lot about families, but I'll add this. Families, we need to see our kids as the greatest mission field. I actually undermine the Great Commission when I don't love my wife and I don't invest in my kids. I'm undermining the Great Commission. I just teach them, my lack of love in the home teaches them to hate God or disrespect God, and that just adds to the Great Commission problem. I don't want to do that. If I want the fire of God, if you want the fire of your God in your life as parents or in that age group, learn to, here's, this is how you get the fire of God, learn to crucify the selfish passions of always having to be right in marriage. Learn to live at the foot of the cross with the quick temper towards your kids. Start embracing Weakness as a spouse by confessing your addictions and insecurities with other brothers and sisters in the church. For empty nesters or those without kids, start being a spiritual mom and dad to the rest of us. We really need your life wisdom and grace. View the last 30 to 40 years of your life just as that. It's the last years. What investment into others are you leaving? It's not too late. Don't ride off into the worldly sunset of retirement, but prepare yourself a legacy that will survive the fires of God's judgment. What legacy do you want to follow? You, what legacy do you want to follow you to heaven's gates? For all of us, be content with the now. The kingdom of God is now, regardless of how mundane, unappealing, unattractive you think your current season is. We have to steward the season now. I wouldn't do the text justice if I didn't include the last part by Jesus. Back to Revelation 2, 4, and 5. Jesus gives a corporate warning to a church as a whole. 
I'm gonna read that again, four and five. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent, do the works you did at first. And here's the warning. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. I was talking with Steve yesterday. I was like, I don't know what that means, but that sounds scary. (laughs) And I can try to interpret it like, I, I believe in that scripture right there, there is a timeless prophetic word for us as a church. I'm gonna speak corporately now, not just individually. This is a, a timeless prophetic word for us as a church. That we are to remember that our ministry at Antioch Community Church, our influence and our impact is not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee. The imagery of the lampstand comes from the Old Testament tabernacle. It was the source of light from the holy place. In the New Testament, we are called to be a light of the world that would draw people to God. When Jesus removes the lampstand or warns it of the church at Ephesus, he was warning it if they no longer wanted to make, make him their first love, then he would simply remove his source of light. The church of Ephesus would cease then to be a light that would draw people to God. A simple glance throughout church history will tell you that Just about every move of God, whether it's a sect, a denomination, or a church, while it might have began with the fires of revival, what usually happens? Us at Antioch, we will face no doubt the same challenge throughout our history as a church. We have to choose to be a people of the first love, or we risk giving up our inheritance. The choice is ours. So that's the invitation for us as a church, to give God our hearts, to remember where we've come from, and to steward what he's put on our hearts right now. The invitation this morning is not necessarily to come and get prayer for someone else. I just want to open up wherever you're at. You can come to the front and just say, God, I just want to give you my heart right now in this season. If that's you, I want to invite you to come to the front If you're needing just fresh fire from God, I want to invite you to come to the front right now. I want to pray for you. I had a picture yesterday as I was just saying, God, what do you want to do this morning? I just had this picture that God in the spirit just wanted to just blow a trumpet, this this sound that that would wash, that would fan over our hearts. And I saw just individuals, people here, their hearts just what was cold then began to disturb as a fire and it just began to become this engulfing flame and then then people started praying for other people and that's what I want to do this morning I just want to invite Holy Spirit come come Lord impress upon our hearts Jesus come come have our hearts this morning